Let's spell a song so you can sing along with one special guest star too. For two, you like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. everyone welcome back to another episode of life's but a song a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals i'm your host john and i'm seriously fangirling right now i've mentioned them a few times on the podcast but today i have the creators of the album losing my mind a sondheim disco fever dream my guests today are joshua hank and scott wasserman Woo! i hope i said your names right <laughs> perfect you got mine yes no practice. One take. Let's do it. <laughs> and today we're talking about Thumbelina. Thumbelina. Can I ask why was this on your list of options? <laughs> <laughs> who said Who said yes to this one? Well, I mean, I think it was in my initial when you said, here's the premise of the podcast. And I was like, oh, so like burlesque or Thumbelina. <laughs> And uh, burlesque was taken and I reached out to Scott about it and we, we had a text chain going on kind of, and I, of different movies that right. had a impact or a, a presence in our mind that we could talk about. And Joshua's uh, list was a lot more niche <laughs> than mine. So most of what he was sending me, I was like, I've never heard of that in my life. But then there were things like Thumbelina and Hercules where I was like oh yeah we can do those and uh Thumbelina is just a little bit more strange and fun to talk about I think I'm not yeah. gonna lie it took me three tries to like get through the entire movie <laughs> I think I it's a you. it's it's a good film to watch inebriated or <laughs> high With it's friends. also it's yeah it's also yeah. one of those films that I think left an impression on younger people when the movie came out at the time that have now grown up and have this like nostalgia for I have a friend that I I was like oh I'm watching Thumbelina and he was like why are you watching that I love that movie that I haven't seen it since I was a kid I was like oh well maybe revisit as an adult and Mm -hmm. enjoy what it brings up for you it's Um, also one of my wife's favorite all-time movies and I started watching it while she was in another room and was like waiting (laughs) for her to hear it and run in and she did and she was like are you watching Thumbelina oh my goodness (laughs) well so a little background before we get like too deep into a discussion of it Thumbelina came out in 1994 with a screenplay by Don Bluth based off of Hans Christian Andersen's story Uh, music by Barry Manilow of all people yes Lyrics by Bruce Sussman and Jack Feldman and directed by Don Bluth and Gary Goldman. And according to IMDb, in this retelling of Hans Christian Andersen classic fairy tale has the digit-sized heroine evading the clutches of various toads, moles, and beetles before she could proceed with her courtship uh, with her dream lover, Prince Cornelius. Yeah, it doesn't age well. In terms of storyline. Oh. <laughs> no, but so before we started recording, I actually like plowed through the short story, the like Hans Christian Andersen story, and it really follows the storyline. Like hmm. Mother Toad steals her away to marry one of her sons, and and then she like escapes that with the fish, and instead of a um, a beetle, it's a cockchafer. 
otherwise known as a doodle bug. Okay. Um, because the cock Schaefer in the movie as well. Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, she meets, uh, uh, there's little differences here and there. Like fairies aren't really introduced until like the very end. But okay. I was just like, you guys surprisingly stayed true to, uh, to your source material. Unlike other movies, cough, cough, little mermaid, cough, cough. <laughs> sure. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so you, uh, Barry Manilow, Barry Manilow. <laughs> of it all. I, it doesn't sound like his music, like his pop stuff, unless I could be wrong because I don't know his whole disc- discography that well. Were you guys like influenced by him, uh, by by this music at least, growing up? I, I mean, the guy writes a melody really well. Yeah. I think that, you know, the songs that you listen to when you're of whatever age you were when this film came out probably have stuck with you just as much as some other Disney movies of the same time. Also, I think is interesting is his musical Copacabana, which had like the musical film version and then came out on Broadway the same year this film released. Um, So he was having like a good little time having all of his hits and I feel like he just had fun with the score I don't know I don't know how much he dabbled in the orchestrations as well but he was throwing motifs in whoever was was very smart in introducing the elements and the themes let me be your wings coming in right at the beginning when she's looking at the fairies really sets up this journey we're about to go on not that it's a consensual journey ever Um, (laughs) that's that's what i mean by not aging well she basically just gets kidnapped by a bunch of people and then decides to go with the first one that kidnapped her (laughs) i mean she's she's really on board with everyone at some point yeah you know and i don't know if that's resilience like if thumbelina is just really resilient and can adapt and is so intrigued by the world around her or experiences stockholm syndrome so quickly (laughs) Well, before we move off of Barry Manilow and the music, I was I was looking. I can't find who actually did the orchestrations um, for this. Him. But if it was him, that would be pretty incredible. I mean, it's I, he, my, he, I my gut says it wasn't him, but I can't find who it was. <laughs> but um, but yeah, the the melodies are really really beautiful. And I guess he was contracted to write songs for three of Don Bluth's movies in a row thumbelina the pebble of the penguin and then whatever the third one didn't pan out pebble and the penguin is also one of the ones that has just like stuck in my subconscious yeah not uh land before time or an american tale those also but barry manilow (laughs) didn't do the music for land before time unless i'm mistaken (laughs) i mean this this was the collection of animated films and the children's sections of Mr. Movies was the name of the movie store. Mr. Movies. Mr. Movies. Mine was uh, Video Time. <laughs> <laughs> and and you'd, it was in the center of the store and it was kind of like in the circle. And you would walk in the circle and you would pick out the movie you wanted to watch. And this was a frequent rented film in our household. As with Pebble and the Penguin, American Tale. Really? The, mm-hmm. Yeah, the non-Disney Quest for Camelot. I saw that in theaters. Um, 
so I found the original underscore by Barry Manilo and William Ross. So William apparently Ross. <laughs> he did have a hand in like the orchestration, it seems like. Cool. But Barry Manilow, you can do no wrong. <laughs> he can draw, but this story, man, <laughs> like <laughs> I was watching, I, I was watching it. I was just like, what the fuck is going on? And then Gilbert Gottfried's voice comes up and I like I knew he was in it, but then all of a sudden you hear his voice and I'm just I I, I literally said, What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> the 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 voice actors across the board in this film are Amazing. heavy hitters. Amazing. I mean, you've got Jody Benson singing what feels like three octaves higher than what she was doing in Little Mermaid. Well, um, she is a tiny thumb person. <laughs> like, do you think they sped it up a little bit just to be like, <laughs> yeah, maybe make you sound like? Well, yeah, I, I don't know if they altered her voice a little because, or if she did it herself, because obviously she's not playing Ariel in this, but <laughs> her voice didn't really sound like her voice. If that makes yeah. does that make sense? Like, it's it sounds like a tiny Joni Jody Benson, right? Yeah, and then <laughs> yeah, her and Barbara Cook. And obviously Carol Channing, my favorite Charo. Yeah, this I, this film is my introduction to Charo. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's Charo. They, they, well, I mean, yeah. That's that's my favorite thing about it is that like they animated a character for Charo, but they made her look like Charo, which like, that's not usually how it works in animation. Like they didn't make Gilbert Gottfried's character look like Gilbert Gottfried. Why did they have to make Charo look like Charo? (laughs) It must've been like, they got Charo and they're like, we have to make her a little hoochie coochie. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Barry Manilow is probably like, oh, I'm going to have so much fun with this. Um, (laughs) They say so much like stuff in Spanish that's just kind of like underneath. And I wish I had taken the time to translate everything <laughs> because I, I am convinced at that time they could have gotten away with anything in that film. Oh, they well, probably I mean, got the, away with murder. The, the frog that wants to marry her is named Grundell. <laughs> I Grundle. mean, yeah. <laughs> Which I guess is like a type of fish. Okay. Not in today's... <laughs> Thumbelina and Grundle are going to run off together. But it's it, it was fascinating to see all these animals dressed as like commedia characters in a way. Yeah. I don't understand what that was about. Yeah, it takes place in France, but there was a lot of like Italian clothing going on. And it's supposed to and it's based off of a Danish fairy tale. So right. things things here don't add up that I'm just like why are you looking like Arlie Kino and why why are you guys acting like Zani and all that? And I'm just I was I was very confused about this movie, and I feel like they were too. Yeah, I mean, why are animals wearing clothes? I mean, why are animals wearing clothes? <laughs> I did love though the chickens in the barn that had like what looked like powdered wig. I was just I, I applauded that moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean. everything is very chosen like it's one of those things that I watch and I go they sat in a room I mean I don't know how many I don't know how much Don Bluth had his hand in it like how big was the team animating this but someone decided that 
this is how it was going to look like. And these are the animals that are able to talk, but the dog and the bee are just dogs and bees. Right. <laughs> and and it's, it's, it, it seems like only Thumbelina and all the other fairies can talk to the animals because in, what was that song? In the, in the titular song, Thumbelina, the animals are singing, but like her mom is not reacting to the animals singing. (laughs) So, and and it's weird because sometimes the animals will do their animal noises to the mother and you're like, but what's going on here? I don't, can we explore this more instead of her being married off to random ugly animals? It it makes about as much sense as the swallow um, Giacomo's accent. Oh my God. His dialect is me doing the puppet show in Carnival, pretending to do French. That was, <laughs> mm, I don't, I don't know who that per, who was that person. Gino Conf, Conforti. Gino is, Conforti. Yeah, sounds Italian. Yeah, Italian I, guy doing a French accent. Oh God! <laughs> but uh, I mean, you know, accents are one of those things. No one else has an accent in the movie. Yes, they're in Paris because they show us Notre Dame. But are we to believe that he's speaking English then and everyone else is just speaking? Well, I was also confused because he acts as the narrator at the beginning. Right. (laughs) And kind of at the end. So you're just like, okay, so you're the narrator and you're part of the story? And he's useless. He's (laughs) useless as a character. He abandons her like four times when he could have just brought her home. He was on a mission to find the fairies, goddammit. Apparently. I told Scott after he watched this and voiced this concern about Jacobo. <laughs> he is the embodiment of toxic positivity. Yes. I think some people do not see the difference between like having a positive mindset and a toxic positive mindset. <laughs> and I think if you watch this film, you can clearly see how when you go too far in one direction, you are blinded and you're not helping anybody. Yep. Sure. (laughs) I barely made it through that third time, by the way. (laughs) You know, the first two times I, I, I type up notes while watching these movies and somehow I would like hit the space bar and just keep holding it down and fall asleep. So I, I, I basically had to wear the machine that was in Clockwork Orange to keep my eyelids open for the third time. <laughs> I was a little well, more focused on staying awake than than what the meaning of each character was. My wife well, and I up with a fan theory about the Thumbelita's mother at the end where she's just imagining this whole thing. She's just like the crazy lady who lives alone in the town who had never had children and she's imagined that she has got a daughter and she tucks a literal walnut into bed every night and she's just absolutely insane. <laughs> and then she made the little second dress for her. Yeah. <laughs> what, I, what I was really confused about, besides everything else, uh, is how much time actually passes in this yes. movie because when you read the story they um they emphasize like how much how long each season is and everything like they say months later she's still here and everything but it felt like this happened in a week like from birth to marriage 
the scenes also or the seasons also changed in the matter of like 24 hours uh towards the end of the movie <laughs> right and so oh, the fairies are in charge of bringing the frost is that kind of the the, that's supposed to be like the ticking time bomb in the film i mean the film also said i feel like the film is saying that fairies are in charge of the weather and seasons because mm-hmm. they bring on fall at first the king and queen and then i don't understand how the frost happens frost happens but then once um thumbelina is in the what is it actually called i i don't want the veil of the fairies the veil yes the veil of the fairies and she sings the finale it brings on spring and you're like all right so this is a week i mean i could buy it if it was in like upstate new york or something like that (laughs) because weather half changes minute minute by minute there but what the fuck is going on here in paris (laughs) well i mean it's tricky and I'm just going to say it like the opening wishes it were Beauty and the Beast. Like it wishes it was that town scene mm-hmm. bell with um, the animals being all the villagers and you're getting to, you're, you're introduced to the character who is the most passive thing and will remain passive until one moment when she <laughs> decides, Oh, maybe I don't want this. Right. I mean, the opening is my least favorite song in the movie. And I feel if that were reworked somehow, although it does do a good job of like, here's her well, condition. Yeah, it's sort of like, well, I also, I wrote I wrote some notes too. And I wrote down that Thumbelina is basically Kelly O'Hara and Light in the Piazza. Um, but, <laughs> but also oh, no. that, um, yeah, we, to your point about the opening feeling like it wants to be Beauty and the Beast, those moments are throughout this movie where the um, let me be your wings is the whole new world where they're literally just like riding on his magic carpet, which is a bee and he's showing her the world. There's literally the flute line from a whole new world in like the first (laughs) five seconds of that song. Right. I mean, they, they hire two voice actors from the little mermaid to be in this movie. Uh huh. (laughs) So they were, they were pushing really hard to, be a Disney film, yes. even though Disney rejected them. I did read, though, that there were positive feedback during test screenings when the producers put the Disney logo in front of the movie. Interesting. Wow. So. I I was reading a little bit, like, Don Bluth worked at Disney, and, like, I think The Rescuers was one of his big projects. Mm. And then something was saying that he left because he didn't feel that Disney was pushing story a lot. So maybe he left in the seventies or so. Someone fact check this. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no one fact checks. It's and <laughs> if it feels right, I don't know. So he, he, he left to start his own studio. And then a lot of the reviews were like saying like, well, look at Disney now, like they're in their nineties heyday, which yeah, like is still kind of the mountaintop of, Right. what disney has done uh, the renaissance and, yeah yeah and they're like well don you left disney to be better than disney and now they're beating you and it's like well i mean i can't imagine it's easy to just leave that job and start an animation studio and um, and go against the juggernaut mm-hmm. that's been doing it since the 40s 30s so 
but he, yeah. he he does bring like a different quality there there is a sense in like all of his films that feel in the same universe troll in central park thumbling mm-hmm. like there's something about the animation that ties it all together in a very cool way and i think he understands using psychology or maybe it's just he enjoyed working with certain people but i think kids like having known voices even if they don't know who they are it's like there's something comforting about this movie i like it i know oh this is familiar to me i'm on board or they could be like you and it be introduced to the charo by this (laughs) right (laughs) i was obsessed with this movie as a child with charo i acted out every scene um i it worked on me. I, I... <laughs> it's just funny though, like, you know, ha- having these recognizable voices, you're right, really does like make the characters instantly feel a certain way to the kids, but he's got some thing for the certain voice quality that is common between Carol Channing, Charo, Gilbert Godfrey, that really like raspy <laughs> grating kind of quality and there are some scenes in this movie where every character that's talking to each other just sounds like this and it's like i need to hear a clear voice for one line please jody benson just say something right (laughs) i i did read though that this is the first animated movie to win a razzie award yeah for mary the mole which is not deserved that is a great song (laughs) it's such a great song i don't know i feel like they're underutilizing carol channing for that song okay she could have more of a presence with a song with a different slightly different song i mean i i object and here's why (laughs) okay (laughs) any anybody that has seen this movie even if it's 30 years ago or it can't be 30, but 20 some years ago, if you mention this movie, they will remember that song. They'll remember Let Me Be Your Wings and Marry the Mole. Mm-hmm. I I post a lot of Carol Channing videos on my TikTok. <laughs> Every time someone comments, is that the lady who sings Marry the Mole? It's iconic. She also, she has like one of the longer supplementary character plot lines that mm-hmm. she like stays in longer and the song is like just a, a little nugget of what she does um which is essentially telling thumbelina settle ma- marry this person <laughs> this person is blind and has money thumbelina has just left the beatles who called her ugly and now she's saying and mrs Fieldmouse wants to marry the mole for the money that's pretty right. like there's that like weird yeah that's clear like subplot but she's like be pragmatic about this you've been i saved you from the cold i know everything about you (laughs) this guy has money he's blind (laughs) well i mean i just wish that they maybe gave carol channing another song too because like carol fucking channing like maybe she's only available for one day (laughs) (laughs) i bet she would have given in years to this project my favorite thing about her character is that she got to say cornelius 
<laughs> which is so great for Carol Channing. You know, just get to sure, say that name a bunch in her role. <laughs> um, but that, you know, to your point about that song sticking in people's heads, you know, from when they were kids. So I, I watched it with my wife and also our friend uh, Shannon, who's visiting us right now. And um, she had vague memories of this movie, think she might have seen it when she was a kid, wasn't really sure. And we were watching it and we got to that part. And there was the line about Romeo and Juliet in that song. And Shannon goes, oh my God, that line has been in my brain for my entire life. And I am just now realizing what it's from. (laughs) Somehow it's stuck in her subconscious all these years and she didn't even remember that it was Thumbelina. (laughs) I can tell you guys, I've never seen this movie until yesterday. <laughs> well, you're welcome. <laughs> I don't know if I want to thank you for this or not. I, it, without nostalgia, I don't know if there's anything for this movie. I think adults hated this movie when it came out. From what I can see from like Siskel and Ebert's review, which there's like a little clip on YouTube of them talking about it. They despised it. They rip it apart. It's got a 27% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, I applaud it for following the fairy tale. I just wish that there was a little more streamlined or something. Because it was just, it was, there was a lot. Like, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> for the lot. voice actors and everything. But like, the story needed to be a little tighter, in my opinion. What if she's just traveling through the circles of hell? I mean, I would love that too. <laughs> it does, you know, get worse and worse each time she's abducted. Also, something that I had a question about going back to after Mrs. Frog, Mrs. Uh-huh. Toad, who looks like a frog, but is actually Charo. Um, <laughs> after they do their whole like song and dance thing and everyone's throwing money because animals we know use money. Yeah, that was my next question. Um, yeah. They're like, okay, wait here. We're going to go get Daddy Toad to agree to this marriage. I thought she said a priest. Oh, I, I maybe. Maybe it's a priest. Someone someone, go back and, as you're watching, let us know. I think they had to, I, I thought, it, oh, father, maybe? Like, get the father's permission. Get the, pod, get the padre, I think she says. Oh. And I, I interpret it as like, we got to get the priest to officiate. <laughs> To bless this kidnapped marriage. It's like, oh, we got to go back to Big Daddy's home, get our poppy to agree to this. Well, uh, <laughs> I, again, and it sometimes does pay to read the short stories. Um, that's what happens. Like they come in. They she steal she steals Thumbelina. She says you're gonna marry my son, and then they're like, all right, now we're gonna prepare your home, your wedded home, and everything. So stay on this lily pad and they leave yeah that's it that's it and then the the fish like help her help thumpelina escape because they're just like don't marry the toad don't don't (laughs) and that's it you don't you don't hear from them again no and so they apparently have this like touring production that they do and yeah with the we realized that with the money the animals have a show business based economy from what we can tell because it's the performances of the frogs and then it's the performances of the Beatles and they're like supper club and all of this. So like from what we can tell from this movie, the only thing animals need money for is to pay other animals to perform for them. Which, you know, life imitating art. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) 
But in the song on the road, Charo does sing some a line where she says, "We're very rich." Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, mm, okay, well. She also asks Thumbelina if she's in the union in that song. <laughs> that made me laugh out loud legitimately (laughs) (laughs) that's that song is just wild like yeah i know i know you all are about marry the mole and let me be your wings but on the it's it's on the road man (laughs) (laughs) i mean why is thumbelina is the it's the ugly and oldest one grundle is he gets to marry Thumbelina because he's the old one. Is that the logic there? Thumbelina can't marry the younger, cuter toad. Um, you thought one of them was cute? Uh, cuter than Grundle. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was because of during Let Me Be Your Wings, her and Cornelius go onto the boat for a section and he's just there. Oh, he sees just her there. first. Yeah. And, and falls in love. Dibs. Falls in love. Dibs. I well, thought I thought that was it. I'm like it was that easy. You know, I am so amused by Charo's breasts in this yeah. film <laughs> that the animators chose in a children's movie to give her a mini skirt and like the biggest boobs that they could draw and lips and the yep. lip like is sexualized toad as they're sexualizing Thumbelina. I mean Thumbelina is constantly drawn through that and (laughs) uncomfortable to watch as an adult as a child I just like I don't I don't know what I thought I don't know like I you're watching because she starts enjoying it she's like oh like I'm getting validated I am I'm singing and people like me it happens again with the Beatles I I look a certain way and people are validating me I'm worthwhile it's weird that she doesn't put up a little bit of a fight during some moments too, because like obviously she doesn't want to be a beetle, but then on stage she's just like, "I'm so happy and this is fun," and it, he's having fun. I'm ha- I'm uh, again. I was a little confused because I'm just like, "You clearly said you don't want to do this," and then all of a sudden you are happy and you're going along with it, like. Pick a side, pick a lane. You can't, you can't have it both ways. They're all using what they know about her. And each time she goes to someone new, they know even more. So once she sings, everyone in the animal kingdom knows she's a singer. The beetle you know, travels fast in this movie. Yeah, the, the beetle. Did he like lure taking her somewhere else and be like, oh, we're just going to make a pit stop first. If you do this thing for me, I'll help you get here. Is that kind of what happens? And that's why yeah, she performs? Yeah, he basically, he like tricks her, yeah, into thinking he's going to help her get home. Yeah. What does he want out of it? Uh, I think, I, I don't know. I really don't know. A, a dancing partner for the, the Beatle Ballroom or whatever, whatever that place was called. Even though there were a lot of people performing there, you know, it was a big ensemble. <laughs> it's a big ensemble. <laughs> That that scene always made me uncomfortable as a kid. I was afraid of the beetle. Yeah. Can we talk about her outfit, though, as the beetle? It's a really amazing dress. And I was like, someone needs to replicate that dress on Drag Race. Uh, oh, my God. Wouldn't that be amazing? Ooh. And you heard it here first, so I get credit when it happens. But, like, All right. picture it. Drag All queen, right. Grundle, 
<laughs> Grundle eleganza extravaganza. Category With- is Thumbelina realness. Look, in the lip sync down to her skivvies when she is basically disrobed in front right. of everyone and humiliated. Yeah, you can bring do the reveal as part of the outfit. It'd be great. <laughs> oh my god. You beautiful baby. <laughs> Gilbert Godfrey's a guest judge. <laughs> That'd be so good. Oh no, it's gotta be Jody Benson as the guest judge. I mean, Jody Jody Benson and Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> oh and the god. ghost of Barbara Cook. Make <sighs> somebody make this happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's a free idea world of wonder if you're listening um yeah drag queens applying <laughs> i do have another question about this movie that's a pretty big question in my mind is um what is thumbelina is she human but tiny is she flower what is she she's a fairy without her wings right how I did be- that happen the mother who is an only mother or like by herself. Yeah. Single parent or wants to be a parent. I I mean, she has a nursery set up with a full-size crib. So like something happened there that was probably not super happy. I understand it to be like, she made a deal with the fairies or prayed to the fairies. Giacomo says at the beginning that it was a witch. Oh, there's a witch? We didn't meet the witch. It, you don't meet the witch, really. It's through drawings in her in Thumbelina's book. Right. Very, very, very beginning. Mm. Oh, yeah. The Wikipedia plot says, a lonely widow longing for a child of her own is given a barley seed by a friendly witch. The planted seed grows into a flower and a tiny girl emerges from inside. It's very so, sexual, too. Yes. Because the flower comes up and then it just opens up and in it is Thumbelina. And then Barbara Cook says, I will name you Thumbelina. And it's like, you had that name just ready to go? Okay. <laughs> and you're sitting there, you're just like, okay, so you're just born, but like, how old are you really? I don't think she ages. I think that's what makes her a fairy. I think she's like, and she does get her wings, but maybe that's what happens when you have sex with a fairy. I don't know. When you marry the fairy, goddammit, you don't have... There's no sex in animated movies. Maybe this was like a a, 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 a witch, like a bargain witch who had an off-brand barley seed. And what's supposed to happen is you're going to open this flower and a fairy pops out. But this was like a, a you know, budget barley seed where the fairy was missing its wings. I bet this is the same witch from Into the Woods. I <laughs> bet this is the same garden. There are beans, magic beans and some magic barley seeds and she goes around paris <laughs> and then she and then she lands upon a castle uh asking to come in from the rain and is denied by the prince and puts a curse on him and years later bell shows up and blah 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 and everyone Same in witch. town is like can't we just have a normal day <laughs> <laughs> just- well one day where there's no talking animals or furniture (laughs) or something is the only human we ever see in this film the mother yes yeah do you think it's like (laughs) (laughs) post-apocalyptic and the mother is the one survivor and is tasked with like she basically wants to be the mother of the next 
like she wants to bring back humanity hmm. she's all alone she's got a lot of animals she's so, kind of got a she's building her ark yeah the the story wasn't published until 1835 so maybe like 1800s where after a bunch of plagues and shit so i i don't i i don't see any falsehood in your new theory <laughs> we'd never see another human however we do see human like qualities in all of the animals true yes so cause... she's yeah she's projecting all of her former friends and family members onto these animals <laughs> in well, her in her uh thumbelina a post-apocalyptic fever dream <laughs> yes is this your sequel album are you guys announcing it i think is it is now Oh, Barry Man, we we got to write Barry Manilow and get permission, and then we'll we'll get to work on. Consider it a parody, and you don't have <laughs> yeah. to get permission. <laughs> like Weird Al. <laughs> uh, is there anything else you guys want to talk about before we get into Stripe and Flat? Let me look back over my notes. See if there's anything else weird that I wrote wrote about. Oh, okay. So I do have a question, real quick. So you know how the whole time Cornelius's mom is just like down talking the bee? Do you think the bee is supposed to be like a motorcycle or something like that? Where, <laughs> Well, they have wings. This is my question. The yeah. man's got wings. Is he like lazy? I do agree with you. I think it's like a motorcycle. Yeah, is the bee just faster? I feel like, well, so uh, the king and queen also have wings, the fairies, his parents. Mm-hmm. But they're flying around in like pageantry looking transportation. Yeah, they're in like a Cinderella style pumpkin carriage kind of a thing. And like they want to give, they want him on a butterfly or something that's a little more regal looking, but he's on a bee. I think it's because bees are inherently more sexual. They pollinate. I mean, Thumbelina is literally born from a flower Mm -hmm. in a Georgia O'Keeffe-esque painting moment. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And in flies her first abductor, truly. Yep. He breaks into her home, cuts open this book. Am I cutting in? Whatever he says. (laughs) Whisks her away on his bumblebee. On a magic carpet. And like leaving a trail of sparkly pollen, fertilizing everything that they pass. Mm -hmm. As they're like spooning and caressing as he's flying but like he does leave to go ask permission from his parents to marry her so and he was planning on coming back to meet her mom so which she she does meet everyone at the end if you really if you think about it so you're saying that justifies the break-in of the abduction (laughs) i don't think it justifies the break-in and the abduction it doesn't feel as sexualized as you're putting it it's what the toads do yeah they go to ask permission too yeah they go to ask permission (laughs) i mean like i don't know it's just it's a weird why are some things still so follow like why why are we following this certain pattern yeah the mole Um, has like a very elaborate (laughs) wedding ceremony lined up and actually her walking in on that sword was really amazing i thought like that That was a a sword (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the, the, the aisle that she walked down was like a big sword i gave up at that point i was just like <laughs> whatever sure you're marrying a mole fine i believe you 
Oh, I had I had one other note. There was a line when she is forced to sing for the mole and she's like getting all sad about, you know, winter and how the, it's like taking away the sun and everything. Her line, I quote, is winter has killed everything, even the sun. And my wife immediately goes, <laughs> that's me when my seasonal depression comes out. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's such a good line. <laughs> I gotta say, though, like this is for a kid's movie that you you guys watched it as kids, you said, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For a kid's we were movie, both this, born is, in the 80s, so. this is pretty <laughs> depressing and very like heavy. Yeah. Well, well I, yeah, macabre. Macabre. You know? <laughs> it's, it's a lot of dark stuff from that time for kids. Oh, okay. <laughs> Are you guys okay? Do you need to talk about what's going on? In your no. <laughs> and I, honestly, I think we're going to see, I don't know if it'll be maybe in 10 years. Who know, maybe 20, maybe it'll take 30. When the generation that lived through this current pandemic and everything, when they start making children's movies, I don't know. I think we might see some bleak realities. I yeah. mean, Pixar goes for the jugular every movie True. to make you cry. So who knows what Disney and... 2050 is gonna be like (laughs) is thumbelina's first decision i mean other than falling in love with cornelius is her very first active like non-passive moment when she decides to not marry the mole at the altar as he's saying i do you're probably right like everything else is like some help me help me no it's to help does she help Giacomo before the before the wedding? She takes the thorn out and then yells at him because he's going on of like, jump on my back. And she's like, he's dead. The world's over. Right. But I mean, like, that that's also the first, I feel like that would be the first active thing is to like, bring him back to life when he, she's told that this is a dead bird. <laughs> and like, that's disturbing. That was disturbing. Oh, and I'm, that... I'm 30 years old. Like, that... I I find Giacomo's wings disturbing. I don't know why they look like two duvets strapped to like... He's wearing... It's weird. He's wearing what looks like a jacket, but I think it's supposed to be his feathers. I don't understand it. (laughs) And I kind of want to. (laughs) He disturbs me. Like, he makes me uncomfortable. All the characters make me uncomfortable. Oh, good. (laughs) mission accomplished then <laughs> I don't know. yeah i mean i probably had a crush on cornelius like the movie does a good job of being like oh yeah like your fantasy right. but then that poor prince is <laughs> trying All to of a sudden he's stuck in water but his pointer finger i know his little finger peeking out i was gonna say something off color and i <laughs> <laughs> let's move on <laughs> All right, let's get into sharps and flats, shall we? Yeah. Sharp flat. In this section, we're going to highlight some moments or talk more about moments that we liked and didn't like throughout the movie. And if we liked it, it's sharp. And if we didn't like it, it's flat. Uh, who wants to go first with their sharps? I mean, I'll, I'll start with just uh, some of the, the melodies that I think are really amazing 
beautiful melodies in the show the show the movie um like uh soon which is thumbelina's i want song is a gorgeous melody i think like right up there with like maybe from annie they feel very Mm -hmm. similar to me so that's definitely a sharp for me in addition to let me be your wings and and i will give mary the mole a sharp as well for for song yeah i just think like all of the the like hit numbers the big production numbers from this movie are are really genuinely good songs I mean, I, I agree with all those. I think Barbara Cook's reprise of Soon is uh, heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Also, her voice is just so... I mean, she, she can do so no good. wrong. But, like, it is truly just beautiful and heart-wrenching. Because you haven't seen the mother, and then you're like, oh, my God, yeah, the mother that wanted a child for so long, and the world has been destroyed, and now... Going back to the apocalyptic theory. Um, <laughs> the one thing she wanted has been stolen from her and she can just sit at home and cry, but she still has a farm. And are those? I, I just came up with a theory. Oh, great. Give it so, to me. The woman paid all of her money and jewels to this witch to give her this barley seed to grow Thumbelina. The witch reverted back to her natural form, the mole, kept all the money and then took Thumbelina for himself. Ooh, I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna give you that one. That one, that, that seems legit. Yeah, you know, where does the mole collect his, his money? Where do the animal? why are the animals dealing in the Euro? I don't know, but yeah, let me be your wings. Definitely sharp. It's just, it's a beautiful ballady duet, luscious. You just sweeps you away. As much as I just like Giacomo, Follow Your Heart has you know, a nice place in the movie, even though it gets increasingly more annoying because you're like, just listen to her, please. You could fly her out of here back home. Why didn't you do that? Yeah. Bird brain. a fairy? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, on the road, just because of Charo, that's a sharp. I'm, I'm, yes, marry them all because Carol Channing is my number one. Do I agree that she could have sung more in the movie? Sure. But I am forever thankful we had that. There's one that I'm on the fence with. One song? There's a, yeah, there's a song I'm on the fence with, but I think, I'm, I think it's going to end up in flat. So I'll so, save it for that. So for me, I read as the Sharps, uh, because I saw the beginning three times, that one tracking shot through the city of Paris, I somewhat enjoyed that. And I wish yeah. there was more of that in the movie. That weird like the, IMAX moment. Mm. Yeah, where it was part 3D animation, part 2D animation. Still like in the early, very early stages of like what would come later in like Disney's career and all and, the, and other animation studios careers. But I really just enjoyed that. I wish there was a little more of that in there. And I also wrote down as a sharp the hen's uh, wig, powdered yes. wig moment. <laughs> just because it's so stupid and silly. And like, I, that one I'm okay with. The, there's other stuff that I'm just like, mm, why a hat? Why, why are the chicks born with hats? I'm okay, <laughs> I don't need that. But the powdered wig moment, I'll keep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, who wants to go first with flats? I mean, the yeah, the main the main flat for me is just the theme of 
assault and abduction and objectification of women as property. Yes. <laughs> That's probably the biggest flat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the the rapiness of it all. It's just like, oh, I don't need this right now. Yeah. I also didn't really like, you guys are going to hate me for this, her rosy cheeks got in the way sometimes, I feel like, with the animation. Hmm. I didn't notice. Like, the fact that they were always rosy. Like, I felt like it would have worked if they were, if she was blushing for, like, when she was around Cornelius and things like that. But... I don't know. I I was I was watching it. I'm just like, why why is there so much blush going on there? Like, <laughs> it is a lot of blush. I mean, it makes me most uncomfortable in the the beetle ball. Like, I think my one of my Ooh. flat moments is her dress being ripped off. Yeah, is just like the ickiest, and and I think it should be icky, but like, I don't know. She didn't choose to be here. And now she's like, definitely crosses a line. Yeah. <laughs> also, that, like, ugh, bugs. Uh, yeah. Well, I think the bugs. Speaking of the bugs, like another Ooh. flat for me is just that there are so many characters <laughs> in this movie, and yeah. it is hard to keep track. Especially, like, I don't know as a kid how I did it, but like, if there's just like a few too many characters and a few too many subplots that we need to follow. <laughs> there, there's. <laughs> child bugs that save the prince and you're like what (laughs) yeah they feel reminiscent of other animated don bluth films they do those kit like are they in other films with animals well the the voice actors definitely are because i i didn't know if i wanted to get into this but apparently there's one of those one of the child voice actresses that plays one of the little bugs quit performing after this movie because a friend of hers was who was also a voice actress in other Don Bluth movies was murdered along with her mother by her father because of his lack of success in show business and she has this whole like thing online about how she quit acting because of her friend getting murdered what yeah (laughs) what yeah Oh my god! I need to lay down after that. Sorry to bring bring that into this, but I thought it was wow. interesting. Ooh. <laughs> oh, oh my! And on that note, <laughs> that's a flat. That's a flat. <laughs> um, uh, another flat. The opening gradiness of all the animals singing Thumbelina, like it's Thumbelina. <laughs> um, it, it just. Not my favorite part. Another flat that I had was like how hard it tried to be a Disney film. It felt like that that was the idea that they were going to automatically be like make the movie and Disney would distribute it and everything. But obviously Disney passed on it. So (laughs) and like all the references that were made from other well or what what we read into it that were Disney references Mm -hmm. that I was just like you guys just do something a little more yeah follow your heart was another moment that i thought oh this is trying to be be our guest and giacomo is trying to be lumiere you know like there's a lot of moments like that in the movie that do feel like they're really trying hard to be disney giacomo did a really great impression of ewan mcgregor's lumiere (laughs) oh my god uh 
Uh, would we? Would you add any of the songs to your life's playlist? I mean, it sounds like if you don't already have "Mary the Mole" on there, you're going to now. Yes. <laughs> I I disagree with "Mary the Mole" personally, but that's just me. <laughs> I wrote probably uh, just. I'd probably really, just add Mary the Mole and soon because I had forgotten about soon and I really f- fell in love with it again on this rewatch. I wrote down soon, let me be your wings and on the road, just because on the road is that fun number that you're just like, yeah, I have no idea what the fuck you're saying, but it's so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, Barry Manilow really delivered it must have been so much fun writing this. I don't, it also felt like there was no musical opportunity missed. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a little overhanded. Like, <laughs> I agree with Scott. I think soon was like, anytime I hear that, especially Barbara Cook's reprise, you're like, oh, let me be your wings <laughs> has already been in my playlist <laughs> and marry them all. Of course. Not surprised. <laughs> Next time I get in a car on a road trip, I might sing on the road just for fun and see That's what happens. That's a great idea. <laughs> it'll pass the time, and then it'll—it's like two minutes of just Charo being Charo. Yes, three minutes, two minutes, somewhere around there. And if someone on Drag Race can do the reveal, we can get a good "You're beautiful, baby." <laughs> You know, you were talking about on Drag Race doing the beetle costume. How about her wedding dress with the oh, hair? Yeah. The mole wedding day? dress or the finale wedding dress? The mole wedding dress. <laughs> the hair was, yeah, that was very Drag Race. I was a little on the fence with that. But then, you know, because it's an extra moment, just like, you know, her being extra and everything and all that. I was just like, I think I like it, but I don't. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I buy that Carol Channing as the field mouse did her up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, well, that's what she's doing, right? She's storing grain and making garments. Of course. And with that, you guys, we've come to the end of the podcast of this episode. Now, talk to me about losing my mind. How did that come about? <laughs> drugs no that um yes (laughs) losing my mind a sondheim disco fever dream originated as an idea uh in a basement as like oh i want to do something i like disco i like sondheim what happens if it's both of those things people who are familiar with cultural events of the late 70s may remember the Sweeney Todd disco track that came out in 79 along with the show. So like that coupled with my interest in that crossover realm of musical theater and pop stylings were enough of the seeds to go, okay, well, what if this was a full thing? Stemming from the question that I think a lot of performers who love Sondheim go, okay, if I'm going to do an evening of Sondheim, what, what would I do? And I think some people just stopped there and that wasn't enough for me. And I was like, well, every, everyone does their Sondheim thing. Like what would be the most unique to what I would be interested in? And um, that's when I approached Scott with the idea. Um, <laughs> yeah. We- and Joshua and I had done uh, a lot of other collaborating up to this point on cabarets and solo shows that Joshua had done. And 
always included in the arrangements for those shows mashups and medleys of kind of strange and incongruous ideas for for music that all had like a connective theme to them but were unexpected so that that that's kind of like the thing that we love to do as collaborators is like bring the unexpected into an arrangement and this whole idea of a Sondheim disco evening made up of arrangements of standalone songs but also medleys and mashups that were unexpected was really really attractive to me so it was a a fun meeting over coffee to just spitball ideas and then uh, a long road of uh, coming up with the actual arrangements and then making the album. I, I gotta say this album got me through the pandemic personally I love it Miller's Son I think is my favorite out, out of all of them thank you that was the and first one we did really yeah I um I got a chance to do an episode with to Jamin Bartlett who was the original original Petra and I made her listen to that song because I was like <laughs> you have to because this is my introduction. Like, I, I admitted to her, I never saw Little Night Music. Your album was my introduction to a Little Night Music in a way. And, you know, she was, um, I'm, I'm probably going to cut this, but she told me a, a story about how she would have to write on her hand some of the lyrics. <laughs> so she could not get surprised. <laughs> so if you told me that, uh, is her name, is her name pronounced Allie? Eilie. Eilie. If So if you told me Eilie took like five days to record that song, I would believe you because <laughs> of the pattern and all that and getting the right words at the right time. You know, it's funny. We actually had less time with Eilie because she had booked a cruise gig. And so right. we had to do an early date to record that. And she, she would say, we've talked about this too, like she was very sick when she showed up. And so a lot of like that day was spent um phlegm managing doing (laughs) (laughs) like making sure that she was that we we got things down so it you know it's impressive how she was able to do that on a day when she was sick and i will throw it out there that she did perform the song live before she ever recorded it for the album and so she did she did have the lyrics down (laughs) yes (laughs) she was that was amazing can we be expecting a volume two maybe uh, hey, if someone if someone wants to write a check um... yeah exactly <laughs> i've got 20 bucks how's that sound <laughs> to start <laughs> no i think we've you know we've been asked about that before and we've talked about it a lot and i think um you know obviously sondheim is a rich vein to explore and disco is as well but we're also interested in other composers and other genres and and we'll see see what happens so would it be like grungy Andrew Lloyd Webber or something could be <laughs> I want royalties if you do the grungy Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> I'm kidding not really uh do you guys have anything else though that you want to like plug or promote well let's talk about where you can get the album I guess yeah. oh yes <laughs> where can one get the album well you can get it anywhere music is sold pretty much um it's on broadwayrecords.com you can buy both the digital and the hard copy. There's, it's available on iTunes, Amazon. I bought it on iTunes. <laughs> Thank so, you so much. You're welcome. Uh, but now, do you guys have anything else you want to plug, promote separately together? Any other projects on the pipeline? Uh, I will shamelessly plug my podcast, 
which is called uh, Song Salad. <laughs> uh, Song Salad is a podcast that I do with my co-host, Shannon. I am the composer. She is, she is the lyricist. And every uh, other week, we take a random genre of music, combine it with a random topic from Wikipedia, and make the two into a song. I did read about that, actually. <laughs> it was very, it's very curious that, like, you have a randomizer that picks the style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We do. We call it the salad spinner. Oh boy. How many how many episodes have you done at this point? I know it's in the hundreds. Uh, it's actually in the two hundreds. Um, <laughs> we've been doing it for over five years, and I think as of this recording, we are on episode two hundred and forty-two. Damn, this is going to be episode sixty. <laughs> <laughs> I remember those days. Uh. Joshua, do you have anything else you wanna you wanna plug? I'm like, I'm trying to think. I mean, you guys can plug your Instagrams if you want. Oh yeah, I mean, mine, mine's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, mine's mine's private and for whatever reason. Um, uh, but yeah, www.joshuahink.com. You can find out whatever I'm up to. If it's this fall, like who knows what I'm doing? At Joshua Hink on both Venmo and Instagram. <laughs> And I'm scott-wasserman.com and at scottwasserman1 on Twitter. And you guys can email the podcast at buttasongpod at gmail.com. And I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at buttasongpod. And on the next episode, we're going to be talking about Pirates of Penzance, the one with Kevin Klein. You can also find uh, the album is at Disco Sondheim on everything, most active on TikTok posting silly memes of carol channing so that's been fun i gotta follow you now on tiktok with that one. <laughs> <laughs> well guys this has been great thank you again so much i bow down to you for everything I- i'm sorry that you guys didn't convert me into liking thumbelina <laughs> <laughs> we forgive you i don't know if it would be possible if it was not in your veins as you were growing up I think I think a level of nostalgia makes the movie watchable. Agreed. I mean, I'm I'm not. I I will be honest. Like I've watched it a few times as an adult because there's always someone that's like, "Oh, Thumbelina." Um, but if they haven't seen it, I don't think it's ever enjoyable for them. I think it's just confusing. Me, that's yeah. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really bad at signing off. Do you guys have a good way to? How do you sign up on your podcast? Yeah. M is for money. O L. <laughs> Sign offs are hard. They are. Uh, we used to on our podcast say something like random related to the the episode each time, uh, but just recently we've changed our sign off to Bon Appetit et Bon Podcast because in the Paris airport, my uh, co-host was stopped by the Paris equivalent of the TSA for having her microphone in her bag. And then that person ended up having a whole conversation with her about the podcast. And when she said goodbye, she said, Bon Podcast. <laughs> was this the, the Paris airport? Yeah, Char- Charles de Gaulle airport. I I have never been in Paris, but I had a layover there on a way back from India and I had maybe like 20 minutes to get my next flight. Otherwise, it was going to be bad news. But you had to go through. I was flying from India and I had to go through security again with all my bags. And the guy stops, pulls my bags to the side and 
opens my bag and like I was traveling with some crystals <laughs> and he starts he like points at my crystals and is like looking at me and I'm like yeah and and then he opens his jacket pocket and pulls out a handful of crystals that he had in this jacket but in my mind I'm like this is a nice moment but I need to I need to go like yeah I don't have the time that was a nice meet cute <laughs> I don't know what his name was another life his name was Giacomo Giacomo if you'll follow your heart <laughs> uh, what do you I'm sorry what do you say again during uh, as a sign-off M oh. is for money <laughs> O-L-E <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's it we'll go with that all right Bye for ever. Bye for now. Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to Castbox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.